was once like her. Irrational, violent. LaForge, got it! Stay inside! Aye, sir. There's a darkness on this ship. I'll consume in darkness. I'll peck and I'll jab. Everything that makes you, you. We will scorch the earth under which you stand, and the night will brighten with the ashes of the Federation. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between the Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith and joining me on the bridge. This is Tyler Orton giving you a look with his old yellow android eyes. And we're here this week to talk about what to expect from Star Trek in 2023. Yeah, I think this is kind of a perfect time for an Outlook cam. Uh, obviously, it's the start of the year, but we've got a very busy year ahead, and it's going to kick off uh, quite quickly with uh, Season 3 of Star Trek Picard, um, the, the final season, supposedly. I mean, that's what the plan, <laughs> although we are getting some news as we record, uh, I guess, a, a week ago uh, from today when, when folks are getting this podcast. But uh, we did have the uh, the Television Critics Association panel featuring the Star Trek actors plus Alex Kurtzman, and showrunner of season three, Terry Metalis. They're all talking about what to expect a little bit, a little bit. They're a little cagey in their remarks um, in Star Trek uh, Picard season three. But beyond that, I mean, why don't we go through all the shows, Cam, that uh, will be mm. likely premiering at some point or having some sort of uh, episodes running in this year. So we'll go everything from, you know, Strange New Worlds to Lower Decks and, and beyond that. But um, does it just make sense to kick it off with uh, what to expect from Picard Season 3? That is, I think, where most of the buzz is right now and what people are probably the most excited for at this very moment, yeah. So Season 3 is going to premiere uh, February 16th. And uh, at the TCA panel, Patrick Stewart says he's uh, up for more adventures as long as they can maintain <laughs> the quality of work that they saw in the first two seasons, Cam. What did you think when you saw that quote from him? I didn't know what to make of that quote. It means he's up it, for, no, for adventures no matter what, right? Like <laughs> it, it has to be. Like I feel like it just means he's having fun playing Picard that's that's it like that's all there is to it I, look it's an iconic character he knows this is the his the character that defines him as an actor at this point this will be his legacy and yeah like you said I, i'm sure he had a blast being on set with all his you know old friends once again for an entire season so in patrick stewart he, he even said you know that the doors are left open by the time we get to <laughs> the end of season three cam that's um that irks me to a certain degree because then I'm like, oh, so there is no real sense of finality here. Uh, I think we speculated. Were we on like a, a Zoom chat with our uh, convention friends just this past week where people were thinking like, oh, is Picard just going to end up on the vineyard by the end of the season? Yeah, yeah, that I believe did come up, yes. And this is the sort of statement that makes me groan. Like, I don't want them to come out and be like, well... Picard's kicking the bucket this season. Like, this is the end. Yet again, for a second time. 
Yeah, I don't need them to be saying things like, uh, this marks the end, the hard end of this world, or something like that. But I would feel different about this statement, I think, a handful of years ago, but now we live in this era of franchise entertainment where there's no finality to anything, because every character who's popular can be marketed, and so it's kind of like, you know, Star Wars bringing back all of its classic characters— Marvel, very few of the characters stay dead. It's the sort of thing that just really frustrates me because it's like, I remember many years ago, Kevin Smith always said, comic books exist entirely in Act 2 because you never get to Act 3 and it just keeps on continuing as Act 2. And I feel like that's what a lot of franchise entertainment is now. And when they make statements like this, I just think of that statement again. Well, in response to Patrick Stewart's comments, uh, Alex Kurtzman, uh, the executive producer of the show, uh, the, the shepherd of Star Trek as we know it right now, um, he replied, anything is possible. And then he followed up with, who knows? Like, it doesn't sound like uh, the most eager, you know, uh, executive producer to do this. I, I think what he was getting at, though, is I, I think what he ultimately said is like, if season three knocks the socks off of, you know, audiences then yeah let, let's see what else we could do but i i don't know i just think that this show lost uh some traction i i think whatever momentum excitement that you had in season one by the time you get to you know the, the seventh episode in a row of the picard uh, cast hanging out in los angeles i just i don't know how many people are really excited for more adventures and i think that's kind of sad going into season three when you're essentially giving audiences what they probably wanted back in season one which is kind of the return of all these familiar faces which i i, I just it's kind of fan service and i i, I would hope that this could have been a show where you didn't need to rely on you know just kind of a reunion of all you know the, the most beloved characters from next generation well i did love back when season one was coming out they're like no this isn't the next generation this is Picard's, you know, next phase of his life. And they were very emphatic about that. No, we are not making the next generation. And then after season two, it was like, you know, we're making the next generation. We're bringing everyone back. And I, I do think a lot of what Patrick Stewart's saying about, you know, the doors open, I'd love to play Picard, is that he's very close with that TNG cast. You see them at conventions, and there's always been a sense that they're pretty much like a family. So I totally believe that shooting season three in particular, I don't know that like Patrick Stewart, after he was like shooting some of the material in season two, would have been like, sign me up for more. But I think after spending a considerable amount of time shooting with his like beloved former castmates, he's probably like, I would love to do this again. There are worse jobs to have, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. Right? Like, I don't think he wants to like keep reliving the world of masterminds or something <laughs> maybe not or um <laughs> maybe not um i we, we don't there's not that much spoilers to share but I, there, there might be stuff you know over the next i don't know 10 minutes that people might not want to hear about so i and um, maybe cam we, we could put a a, a timestamp or somewhere for people to skip forward to but um yeah just for those that are curious we, we do know that mm -hmm. the um main villain will be one uh played by one amanda Plummer, uh, a character named vatic we don't really know much beyond that um and uh we had you know michael dorn reflecting on the fact that he has gray hair now as, as wharf and he wasn't a big fan cam why is this so notable uh for you in particular so uh okay i guess a bit of a preamble so yes uh michael dorn had feelings about um having gray hair on the show, and said that what kind of got him over the hurdle was uh, 
he thought of Kill Bill's Pai Mei character, um, who was, of course, the mentor character in that film. And, uh, you know, a handful of years ago, I was attending the... Was that San Francisco? It was San Francisco, right? It was San Francisco. And just those that yeah. may not remember, like Pai Mei had like kind of the... the like gray hair, the Fu Manchu and all that, who is training yeah. uh, the bride, right? Right, that's right, yeah. Um, and so we were attending the San Francisco Star Trek Con there. I think it was the last one held there, actually. And um, I went up to ask Michael Dorn a question, and I was wearing a Kill Bill hat. And he could see this. No one in the crowd could see this at all. And I walked up, and before I could even speak, he was just like, I really like Kill Bill. And I was like, oh, Cool. And I'm sure that everyone in the audience was like, is Michael Dorn having a break with reality? But it is interesting that, you know, when he is uh, bringing up the um, kind of the gray hair thing with Worf, his mind goes to Kill Bill. Clearly, he wasn't just like tossing that off to be nice to me. The man genuinely loves Kill Bill. I, I'm impressed. So I'm, I'm glad that you were able to have that influence on him as he uh, as he filmed the latest season of Star Trek. I bet he thought back to that encounter with you wearing that hat, Cam. He was like, this one's for that weird guy in line to ask a question. <laughs> yeah. Well, jumping off, okay, jumping off that, maybe my, my own feelings about uh, Star Trek Picard, season three. Look, I, we've been burned with those first two seasons, but I can't help but be very curious about, uh, you know, tapping into where those uh, beloved characters are as we speak now. Um, The one that I'm most interested in catching up with, though, it is Worf. Like, I kind of already know what like Riker and Troy have been up to and it, I really think that Nepenthe was you know the high point of well actually the series so far um yeah I don't necessarily feel like this urge to see them back in action and touching base with them again uh, I kind of always figured like if the idea here is that you know we find out that Jordy yeah he ended up marrying you know Dr. Leah Brams and uh, he has two children uh, one of whom will be played by his actual real-life daughter, and there will be another character, like a LaForge daughter, uh, I think as like some sort of Starfleet ensign that appears in the show as well. So I kind of knew that Jordy mm -hmm. would ultimately, that that would probably be his destiny. Um, you know, we hear that Dr. Crusher, you know, Gates McFadden was saying at that TCA panel that uh, she'll be kicking a lot of ass. She's not going to be as matronly. <laughs> uh <laughs> okay, you know, I for me, I always wanted to see her as you know the uh, the captain of the USS Pasteur, as we saw in All Good Things. She's not in Starfleet anymore, but she is a captain of a uh, of a ship going into season three, so that'll be cool. But I just I kind of could have guessed all this. I'm very curious what Worf as the pacifist is, and then that's what he has said in the trailers, like I follow pacifism now, or something along those lines. But for you. I mean, what character are you most curious about, like, seeing again on screen? I think Worf, mostly because I want to hear what they have to say on the show about his sort of story or, you know, journey post-DS9. Because that was one thing, you know, with him going off with Martok at the end of DS9, um, we had always kind of envisioned him going to the diplomatic corps, and then the movies kind of really fudged around that. And so I would like definitive answers as to what has been happening with Worf. Um, Crusher, I would like to see Crusher given a lot more because it's embarrassing, flat out embarrassing how little they gave her to do in the movies. So I think that's cool. The one thing is, it's like, all they keep teasing is like, boy, she's going to kick ass this season. And I'm like, that's not why I watch like TNG. I'm not like... <laughs> 
Imagine if they were like hyping up like season five of TNG and they're like, Jordy is going to kick so much ass this season. <laughs> You'd be like, wait, what? Is that something that he does? <laughs> and that's kind of how Kiko I feel. Kiko O'Brien with- <laughs> is going to kick so much ass this season, Cam. <laughs> it's like, I love the character of Crusher. She's a very rich, complex character as seen on TNG. I've never been like, I need them to hype me up for a season by telling me she's going to be shooting people or kicking ass or whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, look. The, okay, we were talking about last week, though. It's like, how, how, how dangerous is it if you give the actors too much input into where the characters should be going. And, and Terry Metalis, a showrunner, he said, you know, before the season started, he talked to all the actors and he wanted to make sure everybody was on the same page and everybody felt comfortable with what their characters are up to now. And, I mean, we saw what the results were when, like, Patrick Stewart has had a ton to say about his character in the movies as well as the first two seasons of Picard. I don't think Picard in the movies and Picard in the spinoff series, um, the, the titular spinoff series, uh, it, it's done that character any favors. And, and so that's why I'm a little bit wary when, when I'm hearing this sort of stuff. Yeah, um, because for a long time, fans would look at the movies and, and they always had questions of like, who is this Picard in relation to the show? You know, you watch All Good Things, you know, the send off to, to the TNG show and you're like, what a perfect ending or at least a perfect Picard story. And then you get to the movies, and it's like Picard is acting differently. He's racing dune buggies. Um, he's dancing, and it's just like okay, okay. And I, I liked your um, you know reasoning for this that we talked about years ago before this show was a thing, where you said you know maybe after all good things, he's kind of bonding with the crew and realizing they're like a family. He kind of loosens up. And I don't think they've ever really put a fine point on that actually being the case with Picard, the show. But Uh. at the very least, I could buy into that, even if it felt weird watching those movies. But at this point, well, we did a show um, a while back on like the different phases of Picard. And it very much feels like that, where Picard has become a very, very, very different character. Each of these various iterations between the two TV shows and the movies. So... I don't know. I just want... All I ask for this season is that if we're going to reunite the old band, bring them back, is to kind of get us back at least closer to a Picard I recognize, because I really did not recognize the Picard of especially last season. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll throw this out there. There was some key art that was released at the uh, TCA panel as well, featuring the uh, the cast, as well as the uh, Titan A, the USS Titan A. You know, not the, not the original, which... Uh, uh, Riker commanded. Um, uh, the, the the notable thing uh, you did make me laugh, um, Cam, because uh, the, the the picture, the, the look on Picard's <laughs> face. Uh, you told me via text that it was a face that you made throughout watching season two. And <laughs> listeners, I urge you to go look, or maybe maybe the um, the uh, uh, artwork for this episode, Cam, will uh, feature that look oh. on Picard's face right there. But, I can make um, that happen, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the thing I found very interesting, though, is Brent Spiner is in the key art. Yeah. Uh, and he's he's certainly got a look on his face, a very angry look. But he also has, <laughs> like, those, you know, very, very iconic yellow android eyes. So my best guess is he's probably playing, like, an aged-up-looking lore with, like, human skin. Like, or just skin that appears human? That's, I don't know. Didn't we see Lore at the end of the trailer for Picard? Did they say his name? I think we did. Yeah, I think they did say Lore. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, there you go. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the end of where that leads because we don't really know what's going to... I mean, I think, yeah, they showed Lore and Moriarty. Um, but I, I am curious if there could be more to what they would use Brent Spiner you know, for on the show. Like, I just had this hard idea of the, or this hard um, kind of time imagining them continuing on with this crew through a season without kind of like a data presence. And so I am very curious if they find, like it's kind of like a distraction, wave lore in people's faces in a trailer and then have, I don't know if it's B4, but some sort of maybe even like something we've pitched before, like a virtual presence of data or something. Yeah, I just, he had such a nice send off. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't want them to bring data back, you know? Like, I just, I'm, I'm okay with them leaving it as is. Well, that is, in a, in a perfect world, what happens. But in a world where there's always the need to continue characters onwards... Uh, they don't need to. They don't need to. They, oh, they don't need to. Need is the wrong word. Where they want to, um, then sometimes they will bend over backwards to make these things happen. But I'm with you. 100%. I am content with data send-off. I don't need to see data ever again. I just hope they realize that too. Yeah. Uh, Cam, I do feel like an idiot because after you brought it up, yes, I do realize that it was like a big button on that trailer when they announced that it was lore. Uh, so, um, yeah, there, there goes... Yeah, my theory is correct. It is lore on the poster, Cam. I am a genius. Um, you know, uh, you were you were like super excited about Moriarty, like that's what did it for you. <laughs> I, I I was blown away, you know, and, and I, I was just too distracted. I remember this actually very well because when we did an episode talking about that trailer, I tried desperately to find a good shot of lore to work into the artwork for that podcast episode, and all of them were like kind of low res and crappy looking when put on artwork. So I was like really frustrated, which is why if you go and dig up that episode, it's Moriarty on the show uh, podcast uh, episode artwork because that was the better shot. All the lore stuff was too dingy and dark. Well, uh, so the other thing that we should touch on is that Terry Metalis says that there will be uh, familiar faces from the TNG universe returning and not just, you know, kind of the main characters that we've been talking about. And he also, I think, said like his wording was something along the lines of like TNG adjacent characters. So uh, <laughs> does that... T- does that just mean kind of like maybe folks from like Voyager and Deep Space Nine? Is that what he's trying to articulate? He just meant seven. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's true. Uh, um, yeah. Okay. So like, let's just like throw out a couple like suggestions or who we, not so much who we'd like to see. Because I think we talked about, you know, a few in the past about characters we'd like to see on the show. But in a world of like... The ones that would make sense within what they're pitching, you know, the return of Lore and Moriarty. Is there any connections or characters that jump out as, like, ones from DS9 or Voyager? I think, like, Janeway would make sense if you've got Seven there, um, something like that. But I am curious what you think of possibilities or probabilities. Well, somebody that I think would make sense would be—we keep talking about the Wharf deal— um, I, I'm yep. not pitching you Alexander. I, I think <laughs> Alexander does deserve a little bit of justice. It would be nice, but I don't know how much screen time they really want to devote to that relationship. But what if he's touching base with Esri Dax? You know, like he was married to a former host. And I just I, like, I, I do like how they kind of, you know, kind of put an end or not put an end to that relationship, but they, they had closure with that Esri Wharf relationship there. 
there's still got to be something like inside of Worf that knows that there is a piece of his wife still out there in the universe. And I, I think if you're going to bring Rack, like a, uh, uh, you know, some Deep Space Nine characters, I mean, we did see Quark and Kira uh, this past season mm-hmm. in Lower Decks. And I, you and I were talking about it, like those two kind of made the most sense if you're ever going to return to Deep Space Nine. If you just want to touch on like a, a, a character with a connection to these TNG characters, I think Esri would make sense. Now, Cam, I, 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 how probable do you think that might be, though? I think if Jadzia had lived to the end of DS9, it would be incredibly probable that Jadzia would be back. But with Esri, I don't know. Yeah. Um, it seems to, it just feels to me like less, like quite a bit less likely that they would bring that character in. I'd like it, though. I like the idea. Do you think it's actually, like, perhaps more likely that they would have, like, a scene with Alexander? I think that would be nice for the character. And also that's, you know, obviously Alexander's well-known primarily from TNG. So it would kind of tie in well. Um, I think there's something to do there. Because their relationship was... It did not end on the greatest of terms on that episode of DS9, Sons and Daughters. So bringing Alexander back and actually maybe writing kind of a proper send-off to that character in some way would be cool. Plus, it's many, many years later. Like, what's Alexander up to now? He can't still be the Rotarans, like, <laughs> albatross or whatever. Right. He's like, they're like mascot. That would just be kind of sad. So that would be cool. I feel like O'Brien is a character that makes a lot of sense. I don't... I mean, Cole Meany has been very cagey when asked about returning to Star Trek. Um, so I don't, they haven't teased that or anything. But to me, that would make a lot of sense as well. I think Colin Meany, I think he did an interview like quite recently. And he's like, yeah, sure. Like, yeah. yeah so I, I think that could be possible. Um, just going backwards just a little bit, though, before we, we kind of push into you know, what you're talking about, other characters, though. But, but okay, if we're talking about Worf, who do you think is most likely out of these three? To make an appearance with a connection to Worf. Um, Alexander, Esri, or Martok. Or, you know what, I'll throw it out there. Maybe Kern with his memories returned to him somehow? Kern would be really satisfying. Just because that character ended in a very sad way. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel like that might be too much of a diversion in a season. Right. Yeah. Kind of like spin off into a different direction with Kern. <laughs> they'd, have, they'd have to explain a lot. About like, yeah. <laughs> I think the one that would make me the most excited, had they flashed that in one of the trailers, would have been Martok. Because, again, it kind of goes back to what I was saying about wanting payoff to yeah. where DS9 sent him. I, I think Alexander's the one that seems the most likely to me, though. Okay. Okay. Um. Okay. So, you, yeah, you're bringing up O'Brien here's what I keep asking myself. What are they doing with that character? Beyond, like, him popping up at Starfleet Academy and, like, tinkering with something, you know? Like, that's... Like, I would love to see O'Brien, but I just don't know what exactly they would have to say about the character who was... He was such a stalwart character, but he was probably the most static character uh, among those that appeared on Deep Space Nine, just in terms of character development. So... Has his character, has he now suffered, actually no, there are Torture O'Brien episodes every single season, yet he didn't, he seemed to be the one person not uh, defined by torture, so I don't know. (laughs) I feel like if they brought O'Brien back, it's mostly to feel kind of a utilitarian, um, he's in one episode to kind of give exposition or something like that. I I don't, I don't see him 
playing a particularly interesting dramatic arc. Uh, I know what it is, Kim. <laughs> it's uh, Riker and Troy need to get onto the Titan A, and so they beam up, and then on the other side in the transporter room, it's O'Brien just waves his hand, and there's no no acknowledgement whatsoever. You just go to the next scene. <laughs> Like, it would be really sad if it was, like, the new Enterprise and they just, like, show up and O'Brien is at the, the transporter chief again. <laughs> it's like, oh. Oh, yeah. Okay. Nostalgia, people. Yeah. Um, Captain Shelby. Shelby's the one that we've re- referenced in the past. It would be really exciting because of how great she was in Best of Both Worlds. If they can work her in an interesting way, like a captain of another ship or something like that, or an admiral maybe at this point, um, that could be really interesting as well and would work well. Um, I am curious about perhaps like a Voyager character showing up. Mm-hmm. Who do you think would be likely? Like Kate Mulgrew is kind of like a big star name that would make sense to write into Picard. Are there any others that jump out? Maybe the Doctor? Well, I, I was wondering about that. Like, I was wondering about the Doctor, especially with the whole Moriarty thing. Um, from yeah. what I understand, Moriarty is not supposed to be, like, this big presence in Picard Season 2. So what I had in my head is maybe Moriarty had somehow gotten a hold of the Doctor's mobile emitter and was rampaging through the galaxy with that for a couple episodes. I don't think that's going to be the case, but it'd be fun to see Moriarty and the Doctor go head-to-head at some point for some reason, but something that feels organic, not just wedged in there for the sake of it. Yeah, and also you could have the return of Moriarty or Lore or whatever and have a scene of them talking to the Doctor. It's kind of, again, it's a little bit of an exposition role, but it would do well to kind of serve that character's personality. If you have Seven in the scene, that's fun as well. Um... It's a bit of an Easter egg for fans, but there's enough, I think, foundation built with that character that it would actually be value. Like, my thing with a lot of them is, is there genuine value to what they're contributing? Because if we're going to bring back some of these legacy characters, I want it to be a moment that matters. And I think if you had the Doctor actually fulfilling a really useful function on on the season, that could be pretty effective. Okay, okay. Um, I don't know, like, just... You and I were cautiously... I wouldn't use the word optimistic, but we're cautiously non-pessimistic about season three. Like, it feels that we have to reset our expectations every single season uh, that we go into this series. So, um, I'm honestly, I'm very curious what the premiere is going to be like and what it's going to feel like. And I really hope it's not going to feel, like, miserable and dark and dour. Yeah. I guess, like, I am in a position of just being, like, you know, kind of stung twice okay, like, let's, you know, bring something new to this. Again, new showrunner, things can happen, right? Like, you see that with film franchises where you'll have, like, a couple dud entries and then a new filmmaker comes in and suddenly you're like, oh, well, that was actually really good. So, uh, you know, look at the Fast and Furious franchise, how you got to part five and suddenly it was like, oh, man, this franchise is uh, really fun. So that is the kind of thing I'm hoping for because I do think this show just needs a major overhaul from season two. And that's what I hope it is. And when I see like Amanda Plummer in the trailer giving a very odd performance, that's the sort of thing I want to see because that makes me actually interested in the season. Yeah, and if if we could have Tim Roth uh, show up uh, uh, at some point too to, to uh, you know uh, you know play off of her character, that'd be fun. It's too bad that um, Diner is no longer around, <laughs> and they could have uh, had that as a location. <laughs> Didn't you and I debated driving what like uh, two hours out of the way while we were visiting Los Angeles just to go to the Pulp Fiction Diner? We did consider it on our final day, yes, in Los yeah. Angeles, and yeah. we found out sadly it has been closed down. 
<laughs> okay. Uh, Cam, why don't we jump over? Do we want to tackle Star Trek Discovery next? Or, or maybe, I, you know what? I think Strange New Worlds is more likely to mm. premiere first ahead of Discovery uh, just based on the filming schedule. Because I believe Strange New Worlds started filming its second season before Discovery started filming its fifth. And even though we don't have any specific you know, premiere dates, I mean, if Picard goes on for 10 episodes, then my guess is like, Strange New Worlds could, you know, um, I don't know, premiere at the end of April, I suppose. And it kind of lines up with when it was running last year, which was from May to July. So this is just pure speculation on my part. But um, I don't know. Like, I, I'm after that first season, I think they really set themselves up, uh, kind of made me re- remember why I like Star Trek so much. And so, so I'm really pumped for season two. Yeah, the only thing that gives me pause about Strange New Worlds coming out before Discovery was that Discovery's released like a short teaser for their season. True. Whereas Strange New Worlds, we haven't gotten anything. So that's kind of where I'm like, oh, I feel like they're going to get Discovery out next. But yeah, no, talking about Strange New Worlds season two, which, fingers crossed, if it's not when you you know were saying it might be coming out, at least please get it out by this year, at least start it this year. Um, I think this show launched very strongly as we've talked about on the podcast and I think I have a lot of hope that they recognize what their strengths were uh and that we won't get you know episodes like Elysian Kingdom next season because they'll have realized oh that didn't really work but look at the response to episodes like you know fun ones like Spock Amok or some of the more serious ones like um you know the the mid-season episode I think is episode five with the Gorn and um you know, those sorts of things. And even the finale, which introduced, you know, a, I guess, somewhat alt-timeline Kirk. Those episodes really were firing on all cylinders and captured the spirit of TOS that fans really like while at the same time updating it and making it feel very much like modern television. So I'm hoping they're looking at those episodes and saying, okay, we get this show and let's avoid kind of the duds we had in the back half. Let's make this thing fly. Um, Cam... Paul Wesley as Captain Kirk. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, yeah. we saw Captain Kirk in the time travel season finale. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll get Lieutenant Kirk in, uh, hanging out with his brother, Sam, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, presumably early in season two. Um, I don't think Paul Wesley exactly knocked it out of the ballpark with that rather quite more more of a muted performance more so than i was expecting and it's tough because a you're you're this is an iconic character one of the most iconic characters in all of pop culture and you had like chris pine do that character quite a bit of justice after following up uh, shatner there um so i'm a little bit wary of where paul wesley wants to take this character but i don't know it's it's a younger version of kirk um Maybe he just, he's a little stiff at this point because that's where his character is? Like, I don't know. I feel bad for Paul Wesley because, yeah, you're following Shatner and Chris Pine, who's, you know, one of the bigger movie stars around now, if movie stars even exist nowadays, uh, but a very recognizable face in Hollywood, obviously. And that is tough. I guess the only thing you can say is that Ethan Peck pretty much had the same assignment uh, following... You know, Nimoy, obviously, and then Zach Quinto, who made a real impression on, you know, with audiences in the Kelvinverse and really was very successful on both Discovery and Strange New Worlds. Paul Wesley, 
there's something about the way he delivers his lines and just kind of the the figure he strikes that doesn't feel as Kirk like to me. And I think that's going to take some real getting used to. I think if he can find that character and get it across in season two, I may be able to kind of adjust my parameters for what Kirk is on screen and maybe be on board with it. But given that one episode, I'm still kind of like, let's wait and see. Uh, uh, Pop quiz, Cam. Who do you like more, uh, Bruce Greenwood or Anson Mount as Pike? Um, Anson Mount has uh, won my heart as Pike, but going into Discovery, I think we were pretty on board with Bruce Greenwood, who was really, really good in especially 2009. So let me throw this at you now. Uh, I, I'm assuming it's uh, Chris Pine over Paul Wesley for you, but is it Zach Quinto or is it Ethan Peck at this point? Ethan Peck. I always had yeah. mild issues with Zach Quinto. Like I liked his... Did I like his performance? It, his performance was functional. It was definitely Spock, but it always felt a little bit kind of chilly to me. Whereas I feel like Ethan Peck has really captured the actual emotional being within Spock that... I don't. I don't know that Zach Quinto ever really did. I'm all in on Ethan Peck myself. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, so look. I, I mean, we've got like. Uh, it, you know, oh, okay. Zoe Saldana or Celia Rose Gooding. Ooh, that's a tough one. Yeah. I probably um, defer to so- Zoe Saldana, even though I, I do like what we saw. Like we we saw her going very different places, and I think it could have been off-putting to some people that were like, "What? She never always wanted to just be a Starfleet officer automatically, and like, but she's going through like." A character journey, and, you know, I'm very, like, I think they did a lot of very interesting things with Uhura. Uh, they did way more interesting things with Uhura in one 10-episode season of Strange New Worlds than they did with, you know, uh, like, almost 100 episodes of Uhura from the original series. Yeah, you get moments with Uhura in the original series that people can point to, but in terms of, like, giving her episode arcs, they did significantly more uhura is an interesting one because i feel like even though we've had three different versions of uhura they feel quite different from one another Mm -hmm. so i don't compare them the same way i do spocks for example yeah you know it is because it's main characters i think is kind of the uh the the big difference here and so uh, i i think we'll eventually at one point get like a, a bones mccoy but I think it's maybe a couple seasons down the road before we can start doing some comparisons. I, I think Carl Urban like really hit it out of the ballpark when um, he took on uh, that that particular role. I just remember the controversy and the anger when he was cast in that role, and then talk about just like showing up and just putting <laughs> down everyone who doubted you. Like Carl Urban was like maybe like the one that made the biggest impact when people saw that movie. It was just like oh my god. He feels like Bones. You know, the rest of the cast, people like them, but it took a bit of time maybe to really, really accept them as those characters. He was Bones right out of the gate. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I guess we'll also have to do some sort of rev- resolution with uh, number one being arrested at the series or the season finale, uh, Quality of Mercy, um, because she's an Illyrian and did not disclose that uh, she's an Illyrian. Um, this storyline does not interest me. I'm sorry. It just like because you kind of know it will be resolved. Like I don't think that they're done with uh, that character, and um, I don't know. But maybe they are. I don't know. But like, let's say this is their way out of writing the character out of the show because we know that by the time we get to the original series, she's no longer around. Well, I think this is pretty stinky thing to do. Like, oh, 
you're arrested now. Uh, you're in jail. I'm like, uh, but I, I don't think it's going to end that way. So I don't know. I'm just kind of like, meh, on whatever storyline's going to unfold from here. Does this story end in any other way than characters giving a testimonial in front of Starfleet and an <laughs> inspiring speech? Uh, it, I, I hope it's more like the inspiring speech that Janeway, Admiral Janeway gave at the end of Star Trek Prodigy Season 1 versus the uh, not-so-inspiring speech that Burnham gave at the end of Discovery Season 1. <laughs> I mean, they're going to bump up against the whole Augment thing uh, because this show's set well before... You know, obviously DS9 as well as Prodigy. So, I mean, I guess I'm I'm not looking forward is the wrong word, but I'm at least semi-curious to see how they at least justify the character's continued role on the show if she does just get back on the ship. So, I'm just, come on, writers, give me something. Yeah. Um, One character that you and I were stumped by during season one was Ortega's. Uh, it just seemed like she was there. And then we found out, I think, uh, after the season wrap, that um, her husband was dealing with serious medical issues. And Cam, oh, to be sensitive, I, did he pass away? He did, yes. Yeah, he did. Yeah, so I, I totally understand why that uh, performer like, just wasn't being able to be utilized the way that maybe they had intended from the outset there. So I am very much looking forward to what Ortega's can do. Because I think the most screen time she got was in... Um, the Elysium Kingdom, and I, huh, yeah. I, I don't think that was like putting that character to good use there. No, she got at least a little bit of business to do in Spock Amok when she was with Nurse Chapel, um, kind of as her confidant in that episode. But yeah, like it's never great when you just kind of have a character in the background because then people just keep asking why is that character in the background. So I think we're. I think they pretty much guaranteed that we're going to have an Ortegas episode this season, which only makes sense if she's going to be an ongoing presence. Yeah. Um, I like Dr. Mbenga, except I don't like that daughter storyline that they gave him. <laughs> like, he was a great presence to be there, but the daughter storyline was so goofy. It, it, it was so goofy, and it was meant to be super heartfelt, but it was just really creepy with the whole Nebula deal. Like, that... that... I don't know, Cam. Like, I, they got to get him something better to do, but I don't think he's going to have like a similar ongoing storyline the way that he did in, in, in season one. It might just have to be moments or like an episode all to himself, in which we're just seeing him you know, be super, super uh, professional and uh, competent, and that, that's what I like for uh, for my Star Trek characters. Yeah, um, he has presence, and I'd like to see more of him. Do you think we ever see Deborah the Nebula again? <laughs> I hope not. I mean, <laughs> unless they're some way to like reconcile the fact that his daughter's now like 30 and she never really got to have a childhood with her father. Like, I don't know. The, the whole thing just like makes me feel gross. You know what I would like if they're going to continue on a little bit with that storyline, just a little is maybe have a scene where he goes on like shore leave or something like that. And you see him like with his daughter fishing the idea that she can like kind of, travel through the galaxy they still spend time together but i don't need to spend massive amounts of time watching the show deal with it well they said very explicitly that she can't do that like she's stuck in that nebula she can get out at some point right it's star trek sure but i just that just makes it even stupider like it I does like i don't know i don't know i i, I want them i just i kind of wish look it, that storyline concluded with elysium kingdom i that that just tells you all you need to know right there. Maybe they'll introduce 
like a Trelane like figure. We haven't had like a super powered being yet I, on I, Strange New Worlds, I, I, so maybe that could uh, I, I, I don't, <laughs> fix it all. I don't want them to touch on the storyline anymore. Let's let's just kind of. <laughs> I, I don't think you can really redeem it. That's that's the problem. I like that I'm like pitching uh, no, alternatives no. as to how to uh, bring that character back. No, I'm fine with it too. Okay, so uh, we also are going to get a lower decks crossover with uh, Boimler and Mariner uh, materializing in this uh, universe in live action, uh, played by the uh, the actors that uh, uh, play them in uh, do the voice acting, uh, Jack Quaid and uh, why am I blanking on Tawny and, and Tawny Newsom? And so yeah. uh, I'm pumped to see that. Uh, it's going to be a whole lot of fun. We got to be in Vegas convention uh, last year, and uh, we had Tony Newsom talking about just uh, just s- stuff like, um, you know, like how her uniform had to be like uh, like uh, tailored to her. Um, just like the sleeves can't just she can't just have roll up sleeves. They had to be sleeves like that were seamed into her uniform somehow. So. I don't know. Um, I, I, I'm pumped to see wherever this goes. I hope this episode is more lighthearted and fun than we got from Elysium Kingdom. <laughs> I think this might be the toughest balancing act the show has faced uh, up, up until now. Because just the tone of Lower Decks and you know the way that Mariner in particular um, communicates, I think it's going to be a real challenge that hopefully they pull off of merging that with Strange New Worlds. Because... I'm 100% excited for this episode. I can't wait to watch it. And when we have things in the past like Trials and Tribulations, we know that Star Trek can do these like really ambitious comedy episodes that are technically challenging and really pull them off. I hope they do it here, but I'm kind of nervous almost to see it. Yeah, like I I I know what you're talking about like trying to balance those tones. Um I'm going <laughs> to I anticipate this greatly. I, I, I'm very looking forward to, even if it's a disaster, I'm like, hey, at least Star Trek did this. They, they, they went for yeah. it. Who, who cares if it didn't work? Um, it's, it's not every day that you have a franchise that can ha- go from like an animated to live action crossover. Like that just doesn't really exist uh, in, in other, you know, kind of uh, pop culture franchises. Yeah. Has that happened in anything we grew up with? I mean, you have like Roger Rabbit, the movie, but in TV, I don't know. Uh, well, but it wasn't like, like, um, Daffy Duck materializes like a live action duck in Roger Rabbit, right? No, that's true. So. Yeah, no. Yeah. Um, the other thing we've got, we got Carol Kane coming aboard as the new chief engineer. Uh, I, I kind of hope that they just have a new chief engineer every single season. Kind of like, this is Spinal Tap and their drummer. Uh, that would be fun. But uh, again, uh, just she is a presence. Um, uh, <laughs> I think she's uh, really well known from like uh, Taxi and uh, she had some guest spots on Friends. But for anybody that watched the uh, uh, the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, her character on that show uh, was just so quirky, so funny. Um, but there is kind of a, a, a Carol Kane type. And um, I don't know. I, I hope she brings that quirk with her. Like kind of neurotic and yeah. really funny. Yeah, I think that could be great. And I'm 100% in favor of prolonging Scotty. Like I want to spend more time getting to know this Uhura on Strange New Worlds. More with Nurse Chapel, please. I don't feel this great need to have more Scotty. I'm completely fine if they leave Scotty mostly off the table until near the end of the series run. I think that's just fine. 
Yeah, I'm with you there. It's like, look, we got the uh, Scottish accents over the uh, comm system in the season finale. Um, that's enough of a shout out to me at this point. Like we can, I, I just, I don't want like every season to be like, oh, and this is a season where Sulu comes aboard. And this is a season where McCoy comes aboard and he immediately demotes Dr. Mabenga. Sulu is the other character though, that I would be in favor of them bringing on, not this season, but you know, maybe season four or something like that and getting to know more of just because I feel like, you know, Sulu Uhura are the two that were really underwritten on the original series. I'd say Chekhov as well, but that's not going to happen, obviously. Uh, so it's like, let's give Sulu and Uhura more to do as opposed to the characters who we really know well, like really well. But okay, so this is what's going to happen. And I'm not saying this is a joke. I'm, I'm saying like, you're going to ha have to start with a guy who works in botany who suddenly takes up a big interest <laughs> in flying the ship. And so you're going to have like <laughs> like a, a training episode, like, here's how you fly a ship, Mr. Botanist, sir. You know, I'm like, well, I mean, I, there have to be some sort of explanation about how he was in botany like way back in the day, and now he's uh, not. I think that would be kind of cool, though. Because it would be different. Yeah. Uh, and it would kind of be like the Sam Kirk thing. Like, make Sulu a recurring character, because I don't know that we have botany stories every single week on Strange New Worlds. <laughs> but the idea of checking in with that character in botany for a while, I think that would be actually a really good idea and give us dimensions to Sulu we've never explored before. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, I, I'm uh, very much looking forward to Strange New Worlds. Um if we don't get it in, uh, you know, let's say late April, as you speculated, it, maybe it's because Discovery is uh, airing first, then maybe we get it, uh, if we're going by those 10 episode kind of blocks, then maybe end of June or early July is when uh, Strange New Worlds would premiere. But uh, if not, then maybe Discovery would be having its season five premiere then. And uh, what we're being sold through this trailer and through uh, the, the few interviews that have emerged is that uh, we're getting a rollicking adventure that involves an archaeological mystery, Can uh -huh. And um, for me, this just screams of course correction because they know this is a, just a very, very dour show. And it, like, it needs like, some energy to it at this point. You're, you're five seasons in. How, like... Wouldn't you just feel exhausted if it's, like, yet another, like, sad, sad season? I would be curious how many things are course-correcting. Because, obviously, the uh, very downbeat tone of the last couple seasons has been very obvious. But also the fact we've had anomalies we've been investigating for three seasons in a row. It feels like there's a number of things that they need to change up. Uh, bringing Tilly back, it seems, and giving her more of a prominent role. I hope... Discovery has kind of lost me at this point. I don't have a lot of faith of the heart in this show being, like, must-watch TV. So, at this point, it's like, just give me a season that I can enjoy. But I, I just have real doubts that they're going to fix this one. I still anticipate that you and I will be doing reviews in, like, two or three episode blocks. Like, I just don't know if we can do this show week to week. Like, I'm, I'm at that point with the series... I will definitely do the season premiere on its own, and then we'll have to decide where we want to go from there. I've got a fun idea, though, just to talk about Discovery here. What are the threads left over from season four that are likely to continue into season five? I want to know what's next with Book, you know? Yeah. Um, I, David Ajala last season turned out to be a godsend, 
no matter how bad the material he was given, he still had like this presence. He was still this kind of anchor. And I just like, it wasn't like, maybe I just didn't realize it in the previous season, season three, when he first came on the series, but at least I came to appreciate it this season, like just how great he was. And despite them taking his character to very, very stupid places in season four, I hope that they can somehow make room for him but i don't know like i just it like it seems that they've kind of written this character into a corner and it's going to feel very forced and strained if they try to bring him back onto the ship to have his like ship just parked in the shuttle bay all the time yeah remember when his ghost father showed up that was weird it it was stupid yeah incredibly stupid what he got like an electrical zap and then he started seeing his ghost dad yeah yeah what a weird season for that character I like the hit, you know, teaming him up with Tarka was interesting. For a couple episodes it was. But you, like, kind of flash back and go like, oh, man, there was a lot of weird uh, weird book stuff going on in that season. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What, what other threads do you think they need to carry on? Like, the, the whole Tilly thing? Um, yeah. That was bizarre. Like. Yeah, that one has to be paid off in some way, or at least it somewhat explained as to where Tilly was. Um, they... Also, I think hinted that Saru will be a little quieter, at least early on. Hopefully, he's just off with the Vulcan ambassador, uh, and we can just rejoin up with him later in the season. I think the two things that or I... Or the Vulcan president? Oh, sorry, Vulcan president. Yes, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, the two elements that I guess are kind of like, I feel like, hovering over the show that need to be explained, that I'm not necessarily like chomping at the bit to hear explained, but to me, jump out, are what's going on with Zora... Uh, there was a lot of build-up to Zora all last season that didn't really lead anywhere, and at this point, like, it seems insane to be tying it to Calypso at this point, but, uh, we'll see. Um, and then there's also the David Cronenberg, um, Dr. Kovic character that was wandering off to go work on a project last season, (laughs) so, again, that was weird. Yeah, it was. Um, the other thing hovering over this series, Cam is whether or not season five is going to be the last season. And I personally, I, I myself, I I don't work in the industry, but I follow it quite a bit. And I don't understand the economics of Paramount plus the brass there deciding to keep this show on the streaming service beyond season five. The economics just don't make any sense to me at this point. That show is not what's going to be driving subscribers to your streaming service you know that show you know as shows go on and on in the years they only get more expensive to produce you know the uh, salaries for actors go up uh contracts need to be renegotiated like and also it's just cam this show has no buzz in kind of just the broader pop culture like strange new worlds was getting buzz um like i i think people will be buzzing about the tng cast going to uh captain uh to star trek picard you know i i this show just kind of it just seems dead in the water to me, and I, I could be wrong, but also just look at the state of streaming services. You saw about like ten or maybe nine months ago, Netflix. Um, the whole idea with these streaming services is that they were going to be promising all of their investors we're going to just keep accumulating, you know, millions upon millions of subscribers. When Netflix showed that they were actually losing subscribers uh, last year, investors started pulling out. 
and their stock prices tanked. And that's when the entire streaming services, all of them started having kind of a major rethink. We've seen shows canceled like never before, um, turned into like kind of like write-off tax credits. And it's just like, it, it is, um, it's killing season right now. And I think Strange New Worlds is safe. We know that uh, Picard season three is wrapping up. I think Lower Decks and Prodigy are safe for now. I, I don't know how you justify the continued existence of Discovery beyond this season. Yeah, and actually today, the day we're recording this, they announced that uh, Paramount Plus was scrapping a Workaholics movie. Uh, I think just like the blank check era of streaming is <laughs> somewhat drying up. And I look at a show like Discovery, which is going into season five. What are the odds this show becomes a lightning rod for buzz in season six? Pretty much impossible. Not going to happen. Yeah. So it's also not a cheap show. This is not a reality show. This is not a, you know, four characters sitting in an apartment show. Star Trek is expensive. And if other ones like Strange New Worlds or Picard Season 3 are getting, especially, you know, when they're looking at their metrics, if they are getting considerably more attention than a Discovery, why would you pay for a Season 6? It just, it it doesn't make sense to me. I, I mean... Look, if I'm wrong, that's good. Like, e- even mm-hmm. though we have problems with the show, it- it's like the more Star Trek on the art on the air, the better. But I just wonder if that means that they aren't directing their resources into more promising Star Trek series that could generate buzz and hopefully create more reasons to create even more Star Trek shows. As you said, Kim, like that blank check era for the streaming services, it- it's done now. Like, I think we hit kind of that peak TV era that had. Uh, you know, people have been talking about for a long, long time. When are we going to finally reach that peak TV era? And I think we're we're talking about, you know, uh, 2023, 2024. That's when a lot more changes are going to be afoot. Um, Kim, I just, we, we've been talking about this for a long time. I, I You know, Star Trek Section 31, I just, I, I can't imagine Paramount saying like, yep, this is what's going to create buzz. Like, let's pursue this. Like, um, maybe a Michelle Yeoh spinoff. It doesn't have to necessarily be Section 31 specific. Maybe, you know, with all the momentum she's had over, especially, you know, the past uh, 18 months, maybe that could be a selling point. But I like I just don't know. And I think, you know, like why spend for whether it's a Discovery season six or a spinoff that's not a guaranteed thing? Like why spend that amount of money when they could easily be filtering that money into more Yellowstone spinoffs, which are really like kind of a guaranteed bet for them? So I even like a Michelle Yeoh one, she's very busy. Uh, so it would have to be like a type of show that's going to really have a great marketing hook that they can really push. I feel like at this point, if we get another Star Trek show, a live action one, it's going to be incredibly sellable based on only the most popular of characters. Well, that's just it. Like, uh, I, I don't think we're going to get an Academy series, especially after that backdoor pilot that we saw in Discovery Season 4, which was just horrific to watch. <laughs> it was just, it was everything I did not want an Academy <laughs> series to be. And, you know, Terry Metalis has said that he has ideas for, you know, uh, you know, new Star Trek adventures taking place and kind of, you know, what people would often consider to be modern day Trek, which would be, I guess, the year 2401, 2402. Um, as you said, Kim, what are the most sellable? Like, I, I think you could do a seven of nine and Worf spinoff, yep. and I think I think that could generate buzz. Like, those are two of the most iconic characters. And I think having those characters interact that could be a lot of fun. Um, 
how good that show is. I don't know, but at least there's like a marketing hook there that would make a lot of sense. I think a lot will be dependent on how successful uh, Picard season three is. And we won't yeah. really know, but they'll know. Yeah. And if it works out like last season Picard, where like by the end of that season, like no one was talking about it. No one was really covering it. It just felt like it was kind of dead on the vine. If they can end Picard season three and people are legit invested and loving the end and really, you know, just wowed by the conclusion to season three Picard, I think then Paramount's going to be more confident about saying, okay, people really love that season. That makes sense to do this seven show now. But if it winds up like Picard season two, where even the writers won't show up on the Blu-ray special features, like, I don't know. Is that true? Like, none of the writers yeah. are on the special features? That is true, yes. Oh, my God. Damn. <laughs> but that's just so damning. Like that, yeah. that, like, that, like, because uh, I'm sure, like, a lot of them would just be saying, like, yeah, we had to, like, rewrite everything, or we didn't know what we were doing, or we had to cut our budget because we knew it was going to be a very expensive season three, you know, sorry we had to dispatch some of the beloved characters through, you know, off-screen bar fights, you know, like... Like, uh, that would be embarrassing for them to have to like, what would be like the commentary episode? Uh, uh, like uh, that, the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, what was the, um, uh, the heist episode? Uh, uh, six of one or something like that. Oh, I don't know. I think two of one. I think it was two called. of one. I don't know. But it's yeah. just kind of like brutal cam, just brutal that the writers won't even show up. Yeah. You look at the special features and it's all like, um, you know, the uh, production design type stuff or ship design, things like that. But there is absolutely nothing about the story of season two, uh, which even, you know, say what you will about Discovery. Um, the writers typically show up for those special features and talk about the journey of the season uh, for each Blu-ray set. Uh, so it was very glaring to me when I looked at those Picard season two special features and noticed that no one was showing up to say things like, we think this is the ultimate Picard story or, you know, the typical hyperbolic uh, statements they make. Yeah. Um, so, Cam, after we spent, you know, 20 minutes crapping all over Discovery, um, what, what are your hopes for season five or, or your expectations or, I don't know, your, your, your uh, wary anticipation of the show? I'll give a modest one. My hope is that Discovery season five feels fun. I don't care if it's like a really consequential all-time Star Trek show, you know, building on the mythology in rich ways. Give me like a fun, you know, 10-episode archaeology caper that I walk away going, you know what? Like, I had fun with the characters that season. That's all I asked for. I, I hope that the only tears that were seen from Burnham are tears of joy and laughter. <laughs> they cannot have her cry in the final shot of this series. They can't. Thank God, actually, no. They should. They, should. <laughs> they really should. They should. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Um, Cam, uh, I can anticipate Lower Decks sticking to its usual summertime release date, usually around August and running to around October. So, um, look, I, I think we both agreed that uh, season three is probably their most consistent season yet. Maybe uh, some of the episodes didn't quite reach the high highs that we got in the first two seasons, but um, there's really only one stinker and I, I i bring up the peanut hamper episode knowing you liked it but <laughs> yeah. you you acknowledge that most people did not like that one. Oh yeah um other than that i i thought it was a great season i was very satisfied with the show 
uh, I, but I still think like the the premiere episode is still the strongest one. So it's kind of a I don't want to say a bummer, but I was just like when you get that great premiere, and you know uh, we were visiting Bozeman, Montana. I just I guess my expectations were higher for what would uh, unfold in the subsequent nine episodes, but it's still a very strong season. Yeah, like it felt like I mean as the word we've thrown around is consistent. It was an incredibly consistent season. But it was maybe like a little, it felt a little less flashy than the previous two. But week to week, the episodes were fun. They had great character insights. They had a lot of good gags. It didn't feel like those first two seasons where we were watching, you know, at least a couple episodes per season that really felt like real kind of like duds. Uh, This one, I was happy with it. So I would like to see maybe a little more ambition in season four. Season three delivered like solid storylines and gags, but I would like to see them maybe kind of raise the bar a little bit more in season four. Because like Small Parts is an episode we often reference, the finale to season one. I'd like to see kind of that level of quality happen a little more often on Lower Decks. Well, the other thing that we did complain about with season three is that uh, we're kind of struggling to figure out what the overall arc was for each and every one of those characters. You know, we had like um, Tendi. She joined like the science division to get on the uh, command track or whatever. Nothing came out of that at all. They that like like she went from sick bay to being a science officer, and I I can't remember a single instance, or at least nothing pops out to me, which like that was really of any consequence in season three. No, other than her chasing Rutherford around, zapping him with things. Uh. Yeah, no, I mean, they really seem to focus on Rutherford through the season, and everything that was kind of put in place for Tendi just kind of fell by the wayside. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Look, I, I, I'm I'm, I'm jacked for the show. It'd be great. Um, there, there have been kind of those rumblings. You know, we will see Anson Mount in animated form. I suspect that would be in the uh, Strange New Worlds crossover episode. But if Anson Mount shows up in, as animated Pike uh, sometime in season four of uh, Lower Decks, I, I'm down for that as well. Here's a question for you. We had that big uh, DS9 episode of Lower Decks where we had Nana Visitor, Armin Shimmerman, um, Morn <laughs> pop up on the show. What would you like to see in the next season of like one of like kind of the bigger type of like, you know, series crossover episodes? I mean, we obviously have Strange New Worlds, but in terms of legacy characters. Yeah, I don't. Like I don't know if we need to do Voyager. We got the there there always there will always be Tom Paris in yeah. season two, you know. I, so, like, how do you incorporate something like say the original series? I guess we did get George Takei uh, come up as uh, Sulu mm-hmm. last season. So are we talking about like Enterprise then? Like, um, you know, are, are we going to hear like Jackson Archer hologram give a speech or something like that about gazelles? I would like to see an Enterprise, uh, you know, cast reunion. Bring at least a couple of them on. I think that would be cool. I mean, I've still pitched uh, in the past the uh, recreating the finale of Enterprise. I've had the Lower Decks people just like watching, you know, an Enterprise mission. <laughs> like uh, yeah. these are the voyages. I think that would be a lot of fun. I also think they've got to do a Shatner episode at some point. You just have to. It makes sense, you know. Yeah. Just the the... Just it's voice work, and Chatner will do anything uh, if anybody's dropping a nickel. Like he'll do anything. Yeah, and he's done plenty of voice work. Um, fairly recently, he was voicing Two Face in the Batman '66 straight to DVD movie. So yeah, he'll do it. 
Oh, well, I did not know that. How was that? I didn't watch it. That character is a little okay. legendary, though, because Clint Eastwood was cast as Two-Face on the original Batman show, but then they deemed uh, the character too dark for that show, like too violent. Oh, okay. And so they cut that script. And so they, I don't know if it was the same script or if they just decided to do an alternate story, but that was kind of a justice for 66 Batman fans. And they couldn't get Clint Eastwood to come back? Can you imagine? Do you think they even approached him? No. <laughs> I don't think they did. And they were I like, really okay, Clint, no. So who's the closest thing to Clint Eastwood? Yep, William Shatner. <laughs> yeah, makes sense to me. Yeah, makes, makes sense. sense. To me. Um, okay, so Star Trek Prodigy, uh, look, it just wrapped up uh, a couple weeks ago. I, I don't know uh, if there's been enough distance for us to really kind of... Uh, say anything more than we did last week when we were kind of speculating on what uh season two might entail i i I think we might get like uh maybe an episode or a a couple maybe by the end of this year but that's a whole lot of star trek but we got a whole lot of star trek last season too yeah i mean given the release strategy of season one for all i know season two starts next week (laughs) yeah no (laughs) no kidding (laughs) yeah i think like I'm just most excited about seeing Janeway as mentor because there's that episode, Good Shepherd of Voyager, which I, you know, we brought up before that is a really great episode of her being a mentor. I just want to see more of that because I think Kate Mulgrew, it's just a role she's really comfortable with. And given that cast of characters, come on, just sign me up for that one. I'll watch a whole season of that happily. Yeah. Um. Look, I'm sure we'll do another um, Prodigy check-in. Probably... More likely than not, like our June episode where we do the current state of Star Trek. But, uh, I, I, you know, I, we just covered Star Trek Prodigy. Uh, hopefully it'll premiere, season two will premiere by the end of this year. But we're not quite certain. I'm, I'm very certain about all the other shows that we talked about having some sort of 2023 premiere. Yeah. Uh, only the Picard one is confirmed. But, um, yeah. So, uh, Kim, we were supposed to get a movie in December 2020. <laughs> I was just going to ask you this. <laughs> yeah. And that's not happening anymore. And this is literally the first time since Beyond came out that I thought that the Kelvinverse might actually be done with. And it's just absolutely shocking to me how much the Paramount Brass has mismanaged a film franchise with so much potential. Like, you just consider like how little Paramount has in the cupboard. I mean, not now after uh, <laughs> Top Gun Maverick uh, uh, blew audiences away. But I don't know. This is just like... I'm baffled, and the most I can hope for is somebody figures out how to do that Quentin Tarantino script, uh, some justice, or, I don't know, Tarantino says, like, well, I must direct it. I I don't think you necessarily need him to direct it. I think you could talk him out of it, but I don't know, Cam. I'm I'm very, very concerned about the film franchise, but on the other hand, I'm like, Star Trek's strength is on television, not film, and you look at what the future of um, kind of streaming services and movies look like... I don't know. We might just get like maybe some more like 90 minute like adventures in the Star Trek universe, like maybe a a 90 minute Picard adventure in 2025 or something like that, that will not necessarily go to theaters, but it'll be kind of a draw for Paramount Plus. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like it seems crazy to me that there's not, you know, a big Star Trek movie, at least announcement this year. Uh, obviously one is not going to come out, uh, in 2023, but, um, I I have to imagine we're going to have someone attached to direct a Star Trek movie this year. Maybe, maybe a handful of people will be attached to direct Star Trek movies this year, but 
it just seems a little too big. And I was going to say with the Tarantino movie uh, script, my guess is there's a graphic novel of that one day. I, I would almost be willing okay. to bet that that happens. Oh, okay, that'd be fun. Yeah, because uh, Tarantino has done graphic novel stuff before, and it just seems like kind of too juicy a thing to not at some point uh, wind up in that form. Okay. Um, I guess that might be the best we could hope for. Yeah, I mean, Tarantino has, um, you know, put out the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood novelization book. Uh, maybe the graphic novel would really pop if you read it. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, another thing coming up in 2023, uh, Star Trek STLV. Uh, I guess that's kind of redundant. Uh, <laughs> anyways, mm. uh, talking about the biggest Star Trek convention in the world. It's uh, going to be in Vegas once again. And we're going to be back at the Rio Hotel. Uh, we were at Bally's uh, last year. For me, it was fun just kind of changing things up. We we're on the Strip. There are much more access to like kind of uh, sites and restaurants that we could go to in the evenings rather than relying on... Uh, um, the, the meh offerings at the Rio Hotel, but honestly, Cam, like we've talked about it before, like when you're at the Rio, it's off strip. It kind of feels like its own little Star Trek island for that week, you know. Like, um, I, I'm looking forward to a renovated version of the Rio, which that that hotel is a dump, but it is being renovated, so hopefully, we'll benefit from that. But who knows? Maybe our rooms won't be ready to be renovated by the time we get in there. And I'm looking forward to just Star Trek fans overwhelming the Rio versus like when we were at Bally's, it felt like the normal people coming in off the strip overwhelmed the Star Trek fans. So you didn't have that yeah. kind of atmosphere and vibe that you get when everyone's kind of like housed in that madhouse that is the Rio. Speaking of which, um, the, the madhouse that is the Rio, it, the um, convention area is, is far more accommodating to the Star Trek convention than what we had at Bally's where yeah. it was a smaller main hall and then you had to walk and walk and walk to this elevator bank and go up to this 26th floor to find a couple of the other smaller rooms where some of the smaller panels were taking place. And, and those smaller panels, those are the ones I actually I was far more interested in. You're having a lot more behind the scenes people there. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard the same stories from like the, ac uh, the same actors again and again and again. Um, I got like uh, some really good stuff. Uh, there was an illustrator who was able to share uh, with the audience um, kind of a behind the scenes photo of the uh, new season of Star Trek Picard. And there was a, uh, uh, a bridge under construction and, and looked uh, quite a bit like uh, the Enterprise D. You know, we'll see how that manifests in uh, season three of Picard. But it's, it's like those little nuggets that you'll get. And it was harder to go back and forth between the main hall and the, the 26th floor of the convention. It was. And then there was also just like in that main hall, the audio was very poor at oh, Valley's. Yeah. And the tech people at the very least are very familiar with the Rio setup because I, I really haven't had those issues at the Rio. Um, Beyond just kind of being in that familiar setting, I think you and I uh, uh, will we'll try to do a panel again like ourselves. Uh, we, we've done them uh, in previous years. We did not do one last year. Um, I'll be honest. it's uh, I wasn't even sure if I was going to be able to make it out to Vegas just because of work issues. And uh, so I, I think there's uh, much more certainty that uh, I will be able to do that. And at the very least, you and I will pitch something. So it'll be fun to go up on stage and uh, do a panel again. Um and because it's not officially licensed by uh, 
by Paramount. Um, we can probably do one of our racier sorts of uh, Star Trek ideas that maybe the uh, <laughs> the powers that be would not let us do. You know, like uh, I don't know, biggest WTF moments or when Star Trek gets sexy or, or, or something like that. I'm just hoping that our panel winds up being Star Trek Picard season three, a celebration. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? It would be amazing, and I would be very happy if that was the case. Actually, do what we should pitch. We should we should pitch Star Trek Picard season two, a celebration. <laughs> I want to know who shows up for that, and we'll just sing Shadows of the Night the whole time, like uh, oh, Alison Pill. <laughs> oh God, yeah. So I don't know. Overall, look, um, twenty twenty two, incredibly busy year for Star Trek. Uh, it was great to see the world kind of open up again and be back at a Star Trek convention. Uh, you and I were freaked out over COVID for the first two days or so, and then we threw caution to the wind, and we walked around without masks, and we were fine. We learned all the wrong lessons. I've said this before, but um, yeah, I'm, uh, I, 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 I've got enough antibodies at this point that I, I feel safe going to the Rio, and um, hopefully, fingers crossed, I don't get sick. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I'm in the same boat there. And I think like we have to just appreciate 2023 because the wheels were already in motion. So we're going to have a lot of Star Trek this year. But we'll see how like 2024 looks. 2025. <laughs> I think our, tw- <laughs> our 2024 outlook, it'll be different. Yeah. It will be very different than our 2023 one. And uh, not necessarily different for the better. But um, look, it's not for me. It's more quality over quantity. So we're mm-hmm. get, we definitely are going to get a lot of quantity, and that lends itself to more chances for quality in there. But you know, I, I hope that uh, going into twenty twenty four, things aren't going to be dire, but they will be different. I just am imagining twenty twenty five where we're like counting down the list of the Star Trek spin off novels that we're the most excited for. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Plus the uh, upcoming fan fiction lists that uh, we're all going to be uh, reading. The Return of Renegades. Yeah. Oh, God. Yes. Yes. Kev, yeah. More Star Trek uh, film uh, fan films. Uh, uh. Yeah. Those really died on the vine, didn't they? Very quickly. Yeah. Very quickly. It was amazing to see how prolific they were. You know, what, like mid-decade? Uh, yeah. And boom, once uh, CBS released those new rules splat they went yeah i mean once it was like you can't wear like proper uniforms and things like that it was like okay that's it that is it they could not be longer than 15 minutes yeah that sort of stuff yeah and can i can i i know i know it sounds like they're they're being party poopers but like i understand it from a legal perspective they are you know protecting their intellectual property which they own um guess what you're free to make this at your own home just means you can't upload it to youtube you know, right. like, but again, we're getting like pretty high production values relatively to fan films from previous years. So, I mean, it's kind of a bummer for a lot of fans, but uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I get it. You know, it, 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 it stinks for a lot of folks, but honestly, I, I, I wasn't a huge fan of any of these fan films. Like, like I'm just saying like, I I don't want to disparage any anything, but um, not always the highest of quality. That's all. No, no. Okay, so I think on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspace pod. Tyler, what are we doing next week? 
Yeah, well, we were very busy kicking off the year by wrapping up Star Trek Prodigy and giving kind of a preview of what's ahead in 2023 for Star Trek. And so we, we do want to do justice to Deep Space Nine, which is celebrating its 30th anniversary this year. Cam, <laughs> I remember when the show premiered. <laughs> I feel so, so old. Um, I, I remember point. too. Yeah, uh, so we will be doing a a, a classic Star Trek Deep Space Nine episode review from season one. I think if there's, you make the argument, it's not hard that uh, the, the strongest one from that season is uh, duets. So we'll be doing an episode review of that. But I think we'll also put it in kind of the broader context of the legacy of Deep Space Nine over the years. And I'm sure we can link to, uh, we did do a um, emissary uh, episode review like god years ago when we were doing the two-parters and the feature length episodes and we'll probably have a link in the show notes uh for that one as well to help kind of celebrate 30 years of deep space nine. Oh wow i thought you were going to say we were going to tackle battle lines with the death of kai opaka <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was only my uh 14th choice <laughs> and, and there were 13 episodes that season <laughs> okay so you can also find us on the twitter I'm at Cam, V is in Visions of Alexander in Picard Season 3, Smith. You can find me at Reportin, that's R-E-P, P is in Progress, Cam's favorite Season 1 episode of Deep Space Nine involving that Bajoran <laughs> farmer that just doesn't want to leave, O-R-T-O-N. Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. Transfer complete.